You're listening to the Expert Insights Podcast, the home of leading cybersecurity conversations. Hello, and welcome to the Expert Insights Podcast, where we dive deep into the cybersecurity issues and trends that matter to your business. I'm Caitlin Jones, Deputy Head of Content at Expert Insights. I'm excited today to welcome to the show Stefan Jew, CTO of Security Analytics at OpenText Cybersecurity, to discuss one of the most reported on and controversial topics in cybersecurity this year, AI. Many cybersecurity providers have been utilizing AI and ML for years to improve threat detection and remediation rates, particularly when it comes to unknown and zero-day attacks. But over the past year, AI has become more accessible, with Microsoft's investment in OpenAI and the chat interface of GPT-3 catalyzing the quick release of AI-powered tools by other consumer-facing products, such as Google and Bing. But while these new tools enable us to access information more quickly than ever before, they're also surrounded by growing security and ethics concerns. What's to stop them from ingesting and sharing confidential data? How can we be sure that the information being generated is accurate and unbiased? And what happens when someone decides to use these tools for bad? In cybersecurity, we have to assume that the adversary has access to many of the same tools that the white hats do which begs the question, how might cybercriminals start utilizing some of these readily accessible tools to carry out more efficient and more successful attacks? We invited Stefan onto the show today to answer these questions and more. Stefan, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we dive into some of these bigger questions that we want to cover, could you please just tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the ethical application of AI? It's great to be here, Caitlin. I've been building applied AI solutions for three decades now. I remember when AI was just called math and when big data was just called data. And I guess I've spent my entire career looking at mathematical methods, statistical learnings, and trying to use those techniques from research institutes to build some of the most uh, important solutions in the world to solve some of the most important problems in the world spent the last 10 years of that 30-year period focusing exclusively on cybersecurity. I guess I first got into ethical applications of AI because we are always applying AI. When I sort of think back to the very first data mining application I broke, I, I built about you know 30 years ago, quite literally, where we were looking for patterns inside data sets that we were given. And using the same tool that I helped build, we actually had two completely different data sets and two different completely use cases. One data set was to look at uh, blood pressure data to be able to find a more effective way to diagnose hypertension. So very sort of fantastic use case. The second example was to use uh, gambling habit casino data to find a way to better addict people to stay in the casino and continue gambling. So it's the same tool, same set of mathematics, but two completely different ethical outcomes. And so that's what really piqued my interest. So I've always had an interest in applying AI ethically and responsibly. Absolutely. And it's evident that AI can do a lot of good in the world and particularly in the cybersecurity space. And many security providers have been utilizing AI and ML in their solutions for a few years now. As you say, you've been working in this space for about 30 years. Um, 
to help them detect and respond to threats in particular. Could you talk us through some of the benefits of using AI and ML in today's threat landscape? I'm going to focus on one big picture benefit, which is automation. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll give one specific example in a category called insider threat. So the benefit really is automation. Um, I'm fond of saying that math is magical, but it's not magic. We're not doing anything that a human, when sufficiently skilled and given enough time, could do themselves. But when you talk to people that are running security operations teams, they will often talk about having not enough staff, not enough, having enough hours in the day. And they'll talk about this human capital crisis where there's so much data coming in. There's such a high volume of alerts that they need to process that they simply do not have enough time to manage through all of the alerts that they need to process to comb through all the data. So that's where math really helps. Math doesn't need sleep. It doesn't need coffee. It could be running 24-7, looking for, through all the data that you have, combing through the noise, and finding out all those little subtle clues that you need to stitch together to be able to find the true positive, the true sort of threat that's attacking your organization. Uh, the category that I've seen AI really, really shine is a category called insider threat. So that's when the bad guy's on the inside. So you've you've been infiltrated, there's a, uh, maybe some corporate espionage going on, or maybe it's a true sort of nation state attacker where the attacker is inside your system. So all of a sudden you have an authorized user running authorized applications, accessing data that they have the authority to access, but they're still doing bad things. So how do you find them? Uh, amongst all these things when traditional access-based control doesn't work. And like I said, AI is really good when you don't need to constrain it with a hard-coded set of rules. So uh, a couple of examples of insider threat, I, like I've seen uh, some stunning examples of human creativity where someone wanted to steal source code from the company, and this was a technology company, so it's uh, contested considered intellectual property. And instead of taking the source code and then copying to a USB key, for example, what they did is they scrolled through all the source code files screen by screen. They took screenshots of the source code and then they mailed the screenshots to three separate Gmail accounts. And obviously they did that to try and sneak around any sort of binary rule-based system. But the AI that we had built into a product called Arcside Intelligence at the time still was able to see it because it was basically an unusual sequence of events that happened at an unusual time uh, with uh, strong connections to, in this case, data exfiltration. So that's a good example of something that, again, a human could have caught it if they knew to look at exactly the right point in the data at exactly the right time. But since the AI is always looking, we were able to detect the insider threat. That's something that we're seeing a lot as well um, of interest in among our readers is using AI to detect phishing attacks, for example, right. a lot of email security solutions building it in. Um, so while these companies have been using AI for a while now, it's really hit the headlines this year as Microsoft's investment in OpenAI and ChatGPT have kind of accelerated the release of generative AI tools from some of their competitors. Um, which has made it a lot more accessible to the general public. Some experts are concerned that these tools are being released too quickly without enough regard for the ethics surrounding them. What are some of the main issues when it comes to the ethical behavior of AI, the responsible use of it in cybersecurity? Are SOC teams really aware of the ethical risks involved in AI? 
So your first question around what some of the main issues are, I'll, um, I like to bucket them into sort of two broad areas. So one is around issues around the data, and the second are issues around the model itself. So around the data, uh, obviously none of these AI systems would be anything without the right data. So garbage in, garbage out still applies. So data issues are typically related to things like privacy and informed consent. Do we have legitimate legal access to that data? Uh, there's a lot in the press right now around bias in the data. If you have biased data, you're essentially repeating the sins of the past and generating sins for the future. And around sort of access control, do you have the authority to access that data? If, for example, if you have HR data that is only allowed to be seen by people on the HR team, if you have a model trained on that data, how can you sort of control who has visibility into any of the predictions related to that data. So that, those, that's a very high level summary of data issues. Model issues, uh, everyone talks about the algorithm itself. Uh, so they will talk about you know, issues like hallucinations in the case of large language models. But beyond the algorithm and the technical issues, there's much more focus, I think, on the ethics, on the transparency of the model, the explainability of the model. There's also bias and drift. And so those are basically things that we need to be able to describe to an audience around what algorithms are we using? How are we using it? Where does the data come from? Can we explain why the model came to the decision that it did? And those are uh, real issues that are less technical, much more societal, but they're increasingly important because they're much more tied to a growing set of compliance requirements from the various countries. Uh, to your question around whether SOC teams are cognizant ar around these risks, I would say they initially were not. They were just happy to have a tool that helped them catch the bad guy. But I think now there is increasing concern and awareness of these ethical issues. It really started out with GDPR, which really forced SOC teams to become aware of data privacy concerns, but it has now basically increased in awareness. Uh, thanks a lot to actually ChatGPT and uh, and all the press and awareness and heightened sensitivity that people have uh, realized is bound and hard-coded to this set of technologies. And as well as ethical issues, there are also some big security questions being raised on this topic, namely what happens when the adversary gets their hands on these tools. Some experts predict that we won't necessarily see new types of attack, but that cyber criminals may start using AI to make their existing methods, such as writing a phishing email or ransomware code, a bit more efficient. What are your thoughts on that? I would agree with that prediction, actually. Uh, most attacks are financially motivated, so they're trying to earn more profit. And there is no reason for cyber cr criminals to actually stop phishing. Phishing is highly effective. And we're, unfortunately, we as a, as a society, we are still very prone to phishing emails. We just wanna click that link and we wanna trust that there's an actual human that we know on the other end of that email. So uh, if you go back to my earlier thesis that AI is all about automation, basically this is automation that will allow cyber criminals to be more effective in their attacks at less cost. So by increasing efficiency and reducing costs, all of a sudden you are much more to gain from a profit perspective than you were before. And so they are absolutely already using these tools to write better phishing emails, to be able to scale it out, to be able to sort of do mass 
essentially very targeted spearfishing in a way that doesn't require humans to do every uh, step in that very manual process. Same with ransomware, again, very effective. And so using AI to basically make ransomware more effective and sticky and easier to be uh, injected into an environment is absolutely what they're focusing on. It's It's just economics. Absolutely, absolutely. And aside from these um, or this method of making existing attacks more efficient, should we also be concerned about cyber criminals targeting AI models directly to make the actual engines do anything malicious? We we should be concerned. Um, unfortunately, I wish I could say we shouldn't be. the The problem, especially in some of the more recent advances in large language models and generative AI is that the, uh, there's, a, there's a huge open source community. So a lot of the innovations has actually not come from the big companies that are producing these large language models. They're actually coming from the open, search, uh, open source and research communities that are making these models accessible to everyone. And there's literally no difference between the tool that is used for good versus the tool that is used for evil. So we can't really change the technology to make it only benefit one party versus the other. And so there's unfortunately nothing that a cyber community criminal needs to add to the technology. They just need to take one of these foundational models and not add the guardrails, which the more responsible companies are adding to it. So it's a it's a it's not a subtractive operation. It's just, it's literally a do-nothing operation for them to get the engines to do something malicious. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, are there any um, specific concerns or types of attack that you could talk us through there? What kind of things that the cyber criminals could get these engines to do? You mentioned one of them already, which is to write a better phishing um, email. And it's actually gotten so good that you can imagine that they could actually generate something that is closer to spear phishing than it is phishing. So instead of having a single email that goes to everyone in the organization, you can now basically automate a very specific email that takes into account the destination uh, person's uh, title and their job responsibilities. So you can essentially, with a single sort of automated step, mass market to everyone, but without using a mass market email, you could be very, very targeted. So that's that's a concern. Uh, obviously, everyone's concerned about the ability to so easily deep fake things. So you can no longer trust that the phone call you receive from your CEO actually is the CEO. So that's obviously a concern. That makes all the headlines. But honestly, uh, I think the spear phishing one is the more practical one. There's also been some, and this will be my last example, there, there, there's also been some uh, very early uh, evidence of people using these technologies to be able to write malicious code. So to make ransomware uh, that is unique. So every deployment is a little bit different. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to detect. So those are a couple of the uh, early examples that come to mind. So we've talked through quite a range of issues today and different topics. And now I'd like to ask you how we as an industry might go about solving some of those issues. What do the providers of these AI tools need to do to ensure that they're behaving securely and ethically? And how can organizations ensure that their employees are using AI responsibly? 
Um, another part to that, do governments also need to become involved in the wider governance of AI within society? Okay, uh, so I'll try and take all three questions in order. So the the organizations that are building these AI technologies, they're to be honest, they're actually doing a great job. So uh, companies like Google and Microsoft and OpenAI, they're all doing the right things. They have AI safety teams. They're investing a lot in putting the right guardrails in place so that their technologies cannot be used for, for malicious and uh, sort of non, non-compatible with society uh, operations. So that's, that's very good. Uh, they are also uh, proposing guidance for countries to take into account. And there will almost certainly need to be some sort of government involvement. Unfortunately, just like how there's um, there's a need for governments to step in to prevent uh, counterfeit money from being printed, they kind of need to do the same thing in this area as well. So, you know, being able to clearly identify anything that was sort of generated by AI, being able to have very sort of harsh and uh, commiserate penalties associated with the nefarious use of AI technologies, that needs to be part of the solution. It's not the only solution, but needs to be sort of part of it. What organizations can do for their employees, unfortunately, it does come down to a lot of education. And I say unfortunately, because that is uh, something that is not new. Like we've we've uh, we've learned quite a while ago in cybersecurity how important it is to educate our employees around things like phishing emails, and so that continues to be in some ways the weakest link in the chain. We need to make sure that people are aware of what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, what these technologies can do, and what they can't do, and how they can be used responsibly. Definitely. And as some of these um, changes play out, how do you imagine the relationship between security teams and AI will evolve? Do you think that AI will ever really replace SOC teams? I could be an AI right now and you wouldn't know it. (laughs) Um, Actually, uh, no, I'm quite confident that that will not happen. Uh, So I have the privilege of leading 100 data scientists and data engineers at OpenText Cybersecurity. Uh, we are essentially the math team for all of these amazing security solutions that we build. And we've been doing this for about 10 years. And one of our core principles is to always focus on the human-machine partnership. So we are building tools that will make the uh, the humans that you already have, who we all already agreed is insufficient in quantity, more, we're making them more effective. So it's that partnership where we really shine. If I go back to my earlier example where I talked about how uh, chess used to be a hallmark for AI, like if you if you can build an AI to build uh, to play chess effectively, then you've won AI. You have now equal human intelligence, and of course we've learned that that's not actually uh, an effective marker of, for human intelligence. Everyone now accepts that a human uh, playing chess is not nearly as good as a program playing chess. But you know what's interesting about that story is the best chess in the world is something called Centaur chess, which is actually teams of human grandmasters playing chess with all the AI chess tools side by side. And the reason is because these AI tools, they're very good at essentially tactics and not making mistakes, whereas the humans are really good at creativity and imagination. It's that combination, that partnership where we really shine. 
I really like that. The idea of it being an extension of your team rather than worrying about it being a replacement. That's a really nice idea. So I've just got one last question for you today, Stefan. We've talked through quite a few intense topics today, so I think it's right that we end on a little bit of a lighter note. Looking forward over the next 12 months, what are you most excited about when it comes to AI? I'm so excited about what AI can do for precision medicine and what's called personalized medicine sometimes. Uh, we, We talk about using AI to solve the use cases that matter, and I cannot think of the most important use case not being one where we uh, improve the quality of someone's life. And so personalized medicine or precision medicine really has the capability of doing that. So we're taking some very specific data around every individual and applying all that we know from medical research and optimizing the outcomes for a better life, a longer life, a more healthier life. And there's so much data out there and there's so much research out there. We know what to do, but it literally is a problem of there's sort of too much and there's not enough human experts that we can apply to improve everyone's quality of life. But again, that's where AI can really help. AI is really good at coming through a lot of data, connecting the dots between, you know, larger volumes of information and coming up with an optimization at a very sort of individual level, but in a way that's very, very scalable and very economically feasible. So that's the area I'm most excited about. That's definitely really exciting. I'll look forward to following that as um, we start to see some more of those applications to that use case. So thank you so much, Stefan, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Caitlin. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Expert Insights podcast. For more, please subscribe or visit expertinsights.com to find interviews with experts and trusted reviews of top cloud solutions.